Good morning. Um, before we begin, um, that uh, is quite a long reading there, and uh, I do want to say that um, <clears throat> the scope of the series we're doing, the, uh, the Kingdom Parables, um, I've really just been assigned to preach on the parable of the sower and the explanation, that section in the middle, that kind of hard, tricky section where you probably got lots of questions. I'm not really dealing with that. So um, if, you, if, you, if you do have questions about it, ask Kieran or something like that, because um, I do too. Um, I just get the easy bits, um, and uh, that will be good fun. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for Christ and everything he's done for us. We pray that this word of the kingdom would sink into our hearts this morning. Amen. Yesterday I woke up and as I got out of bed and walked past a, uh, a window vent in our house, I immediately noticed the, uh, the smell of bushfire smoke. It uh, took me back to the summers growing up in Sydney. Uh, for a while it seemed that about every, every Boxing Day, uh, I should say St Stephen's Day or something now, shouldn't I? Every Boxing Day as a kid I'd see uh, ash floating in the air. And I remember the sun being blocked out for weeks. It wasn't cloudy weather, it was just smoke. Uh, the smell of smoke would be through everything, your clothes, bedsheets, everything you had. Uh, Perth is, of course, no stranger to this either. Uh, my newspaper headline this morning read, Lives and Homes Under Threat as Multiple Fires Rage Across Perth and Peel. Uh, fires have broken out early on the East Coast this year, especially in Queensland and New South Wales in, in devastating ways. But the other thing I remember about the fires in Sydney growing up was, was not just a picture of threat, uh, but a picture of restoration too. Because as after the fires had passed, in the months following, you'd find yourself alongside bushland at some point, and you'd see this charred and blackened and ruined landscape. You'd see the destruction, but you would also see something like this. Isn't there something just extraordinarily beautiful about that kind of image? The, the stunning contrast of the colours of life bursting from the blackened, ruined landscape. And within months of seeing that, you'd go back and you'd see the colours of life now starting to really overtake this blackened canvas that they grow, were growing upon. And then in a couple of years, all evidence of a bushfire would be really hard to find. You'd really have to look for it. It's as if this proclaims that life has begun and it's here to stay, that destruction's not the future. There's something different, I think, about the world since the pandemic, isn't there? The news seems to be a, a bit darker than before, especially over the last few weeks, particularly dark. We read of the horrors coming from the Middle East at the moment. I read the other day that 3,000 children were killed in the first three weeks of the war. 6,000 have been injured so far. And those numbers are already out of date. We know of conflicts that were only lurking that are now starting to take shape. We read this year of global warming on an unforeseen and unexpected scale. We read of the threat of inflation and the threat of declining living standards. And then, tragically, over the last few weeks in Australia, we had these stories of brutal domestic violence murders that have come to us as well. It's so easy for us to see just a blackened landscape when there are stories. Uh, in a sense, we should. You know, these are, these are real horrors and, and real suffering, and we can't just sort of wish it away and, and think optimistically. Um, that would dishonour what's happened. And yet, what's beautiful about you people, what's beautiful about Christian hope is that we actually refuse to see the end of the story as a blackened and ruined landscape. Christian hope 
is the great rebellion against the, the meaninglessness and despair that would be so easy for us to adopt. And instead, Christians, we're those who, who stop and acknowledge that the, the, the black and landscape is real, but we find within it this. We stop to find the hope that we believe in, and we want to tell everyone about it, and we want to say, look, look how beautiful this is. This is, this is the future, we say. And in today's story, Jesus tells a story of God sowing this word of hope into the world like seeds. You have the image of a farmer who's throwing out these handfuls of seeds seemingly indiscriminately, and the seeds are falling from the sky like rain and and landing heavy on the ground and peppering the soil like carpet. And Jesus said that this word is the word of the kingdom. In verse 19, he says that. It's It's a message of the king. It's a story of hope. Uh, This is what the people of Jesus' day spoke about and told the kids about when they were putting them to sleep. You know, I think the kids we read, the stories we read to their kids, one's about really hungry caterpillars and gruffalos and bear hunts. No, they, the Jews of Jesus' day told stories about a God who would send life into the blackened landscape of the Roman occupation of Judea and where God's life would overrun oppression and violence and war and would strangle out all poverty and cruelty so that God's freedom and peace would mark everything. That's the word of the kingdom that they were longing for, the word, the message that the king was here and the kingdom had begun. And that's the same word that we need today, a word of the life of God overtaking whatever darkness in the landscape we see or our newspapers might see, a word that even in the tragedy the beauty of life's taking over. The great news and and discovery of the New Testament is that the king of that kingdom is Jesus Christ, and he's here, and, and life is springing up everywhere because God is in the business of throwing his word out into the world making it known everywhere in every continent and country that, that the kingdom has begun. And as he does that, lives are transformed and hope and meaning and justice begin to drive our behaviour and our decisions. The word of the kingdom is taking over. It's the power of the kingdom. And in our story today, Jesus gives a story for the church, a story that tells us to hold on to this word of the kingdom and never let it go. In the metaphor I'm using, to focus on the life that is springing up as the story's future, not on the charred and smouldering remains in the end. Hold on to this word and never let it go. Because it is, it is too easy to do that. Our studies in psychology tell us that the human brain actually has a negativity bias. That is, we, we have a natural tendency to give more weight to negative experiences and interactions than positive ones. It's why we overwhelmingly click on the negative articles in the news than we do the positive ones. Now, this is not a sermon about you know, simply being optimistic, but it is a sermon that's urging you and urging us all to take on this beautiful word of the kingdom and never let it go, whatever else might be going on around you, to cling to that hope. Because in this story, Jesus warns us that it's actually pretty easy to let go of it. Certainly lots of people will do that, this word of the kingdom. And we see it in a few examples. Uh, firstly, as the farmer throws out seed, you know, our, our, imagine we've got a camera and our camera zooms in on, on a certain kind of seed that, that lands there. Uh, the farmer throws it out and, and lands everywhere, but, but some of that seed, the ones we're zooming in on, lands on the path. And there the ground's hard. It, it can't hold water no matter how much it rains, 
And most importantly, feet just trample it constantly. This is a space that's made for people, for feet, not for seeds. And so the seed lays there in the sun, doing nothing. It's getting walked on. And the birds eventually see it, and they fly down, and they turn it into a meal. And this, Jesus says, is like people who hear this word of the kingdom, this beautiful word of hope for our world, and it just doesn't penetrate. It doesn't do anything. The devil takes it away before it can take hold like a bird. It's a rather devastating picture for those of us, and I do, who have family and friends who seem to be just like that, that they've heard again and again and the seed's just not sprouting. Now, we've got to be careful of taking this image too far. I don't actually think Jesus is specifying um, specific groups of people here, but types of responses that you'll see. Uh, If your family and friends look like this, unresponsive, that description fits them, but that doesn't mean it's the end of the story for them at all because the farmer continues to sow this word of the seed of the kingdom. Well, the camera zooms out and, and now it refocuses. And this time we're looking at ground that, that looks pretty nice, at least from the surface. It's, it's got nice, moist topsoil. But if you were to walk along and take a stick and, and push it into the ground with any kind of moderate force, the stick's going to break because just beneath that layer of topsoil is, a, is basically a limestone shelf. This is hard, rocky ground underneath. This kind of soil is really good for germinating seeds, but it's terrible for anything beyond a seedling because what happens is the sun comes up and it scorches the plant. The plant looks for moisture and it can't get its roots down beyond the limestone, and so it dies. It's like a person, Jesus says, who hears this word of the kingdom, this beautiful story of hope for our world through the love of God, but as soon as it gets hard, As soon as it costs something, the person lets go of it. And faith does cost us something, some of us more than others. It certainly can earn us criticism and mockery and friendships, career opportunities. I have a friend who's working as a missionary in the Middle East, and she assures me that over there, adopting Christian faith costs a person everything. Friends, family, community, jobs, she says that for some, you know, they have this great joy of becoming a Christian and then it just gets too hard and they let go. Well, then we zoom out again and refocus and we see some of the seeds fall on amongst other plants, weeds and thorns. The soil is pretty good here, though, but it's just crowded. My mum, for a while, did a horticulture course and she said that during her time during that course, she had a friend who wanted to do an experiment. I don't know if it was part of the course or just fun, but an experiment on a, a weed called Wandering Jew. It's such a tenacious weed, especially on the East Coast, and, and this friend plucked out some Wandering Jew and just left it on her windowsill, and she left it there for four weeks, didn't do anything to it, didn't touch it. And then she picked it up and replanted it in, in the ground to see what it would do. Within days, it was thriving again. Four weeks on the shelf. Like that, that's a serious plant, right? Weeds are, weeds are tough and, and fast and dominant. Um, the seed in this part of the story falls among weeds and thorns. But the weeds are everywhere and they're strong. And before long, it crowds out the sun from those, those plants, those new seeds, and its roots are strangled and guided away from moisture and nutrients. This, Jesus says, is like a person who hears this beautiful word of the kingdom, but their faith is weakened and strangled by the worries of life and the false promises and hopes of wealth. 
What I find really frightening about these stories is that all three of these examples describe people who have heard the word of the kingdom. Now, the first is more obvious rejection of that, but the second two are not. In this room this morning, we could, I could, be making just the kind of response that Jesus is describing. The story is meant to be a warning to the church, a warning that you might have heard this news, but the road's not at its end yet, and there's still challenges along the way. We've still got to hold on. Well, the story's not at the end. We, we refocus again and, and find that some of this lead, seed now lands on good soil. It's, it's fresh and it's dark and moist, and the seeds sprout to life. Now, I'm, I'm sure there's some weeds and rocks in there too, but the point is that this last soil, the seeds thrive in it. And in time they fruit, and, and one seed from one plant can produce 30 seeds, sometimes 60, on rare occasions 100 seeds from one seed. And soon we're left with a whole field full of ripe grain with millions more seeds than what was sown originally. In the end, there's this great harvest. In the end, the sower has succeeded. Well, we have the four soils there. We've got to ask, what is the, what is the core difference between them. What's the real difference? One word, actually. It's the word understand. You only get understand applied to the good soil at the end. In verse 19, that the seed on the path, Jesus says, is someone who hears but doesn't understand. In verse 20, the rocky ground is a person who hears, there's no mention of understanding. In verse 22, same thing, thorny ground, someone who hears, no mention of understanding. And then the good soil person in verse 23, we're told, hears and understands. Now in that, in that tricky section in the middle, um, Jesus speaks about understanding with our hearts in verse 15. We have to not just understand this word of the kingdom, but we have to understand it with our hearts. We have to know it in our hearts. We have to see our desires and hopes built around this word of the kingdom. The deep and beautiful significance of this word of the kingdom needs to penetrate to us, to our core. Um, Now, that's that's a good enough message, I think. I I could kind of end the sermon there and say, be good soil, um, accept the beautiful word of the gospel and and hold on to it forever. Uh, There's a great challenge there, a a warning that this gospel needs to press into our, our hearts and shape our desires and affections. If that doesn't happen, we're at risk of hearing but not understanding. Now, I could finish the service there and we'd finish uh, the service a bit earlier, maybe on time, and um, you know, have morning tea, and, and that sounds pretty good, uh, although I think the kids are going to have it all thanks to Mark um, today. Um, yeah, um, so maybe there won't be any. Maybe we'll get out there early, though. Um, but unfortunately, I'm going to pre- keep preaching for a couple more minutes because I don't think we can stop there. I, I don't think we've quite discovered the love of God deeply enough. I've already said that what's incredible about this story is that the word that the story is about, the word of God sowing the word in the world, is the very word that Jesus is at the same time speaking in the story. And it's the very word that makes the kingdom happen. So, so where do we see God's grace? Where do we see hope in this story? Well, take note of this, that the success of the harvest already um, completely outweighs the failure. Um, I don't know if you can ever recall an um, experience of you hearing a master musician perform. And just imagine that experience for you, um, you know, watching their hands and fingers fly and hearing the sounds they're creating, watching techniques that seem humanly impossible, hearing melodies and harmonies that seem to come to them so easily and so difficult to the average person. 
But when we have an experience like that, what we don't see is the years and years of mistakes that that person made. Years and years of playing the same phrase over and over, of sounding terrible again and again. And if you counted up their mistakes and, and failures, they would outweigh the successes. But not really in the end, right? Because once they're able to perform at a master level, surely that success, surely that vastly outweighs all their past failures. Surely they were worth it, even if they were numerous. What we see in this story at the end is an abundant harvest, a harvest that vastly outweighs all the failures of the seeds that were originally thrown. We see seeds multiply in their millions. And for us, what it means is that God wins. Despite whatever opposition or cold-heartedness we might see in our friends, our family, our neighbours towards Christ, in the end, God's word is successful. In the end, the harvest will be abundant and nothing will be able to stop it. And secondly, we see this, this beautiful picture of, of the, the seeds at the end fruiting, They're growing to fruit in abundance. Uh, verse 23, you've got it there where it says, But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, another sixty, and another thirty. We hear and understand the word of the kingdom, and fruit happens. God grows it within us, the fruit of faith. He causes transformation by his spirit. That's the power of this word of the kingdom in our hearts. When it does shape and impress on our desires and hopes, it's going to bring transformation, and God brings that about. But I think there are, there are glimpses of God's grace here in an even deeper way. Because as I reflected on this story, I thought I'd love to say, yeah, 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 I'm good, I'm the good soil, you know. But it's so much easier to see myself in the other soils. I'm not sure how often this word of the kingdom really hits my heart like it should. I mean, maybe I never really understood it. I certainly had joy when I first came to Christ, but, but maybe I'm a bit like the seed on the rocky ground. Or when I face troubles or the shame of being a Christian, when I want to live like those who are not, I feel a bit like thorny ground then. I identify with those. Well, the ancient church fathers would push us to see a theological reading, deeper truths here in the story, and I, I certainly see flashes of God's grace and kindness in this, if we think about it like that. Just reflect on the moment for the seeds that failed. You know, one was assaulted by the devil, another by persecution and trouble, another strangled by the cares of the world and wealth. I'm reminded of the Christ who was assaulted by the devil from the moment his ministry began. Bow down to me and you'll have everything the devil said to you. Now, if you want to talk about persecution and trouble, just look to the man of sorrows, the suffering servant. Falsely accused, beaten, spat on, mocked, tortured, whipped, stripped naked to suffer the worst and most shameful execution the Romans could imagine. There's trouble and persecution. But, Father, not my will, but yours be done, he said. And what about thorns? You know, did Christ's word attempt to get choked out of him, attempt to get silenced? Absolutely, that's why he was sentenced. The cares of this world, the status and influence of the religious leaders was a threat. The lure of wealth, 30 silver coins, to silence him, to choke him so that the word of the kingdom would wither. Now, if we want to talk about thorns, just look to the crown of thorns in his suffering. Yet through it all, Christ endured and endured what we couldn't, what I can't, but did it for us. If you're worried about not being good soil, I am with you. But when we look to Christ, we realise that what God has asked of us here, Christ did for us.
It's as if Christ has now lifted us from the path and, and from the thin rocky ground and from the thorns and placed us gently onto the good soil ready to sprout and grow for a harvest. There's the love of God. That's the story of the whole New Testament. There's the word of the kingdom. There the parable speaks of the power of this word of the kingdom because by this story you will find the very power of that word of the kingdom, the power that will enable us to hold on. You don't think God's kind of sitting back with his arms folded going, oh, yeah, it would be cool to test humanity here uh, like this. Can't wait to see if they grow or not. No, the picture of God that we get from the whole story of the Bible is a God of grace and love, a picture of a gardener who tends and waters his seeds to flourishing, to those who hold on to this hope of the kingdom. There's the real power to grow in the grace and love of God, the power to hold on to this word, this word of grace, this word of love. It lies in knowing more fully the beauty that began this sermon, this to know that the love of God is victorious, to know his love is endless and it's for you and those around you. This word of the kingdom has all the power you need to follow the way of Christ, resisting the temptations of the world, because this beauty, this hope, this future will overtake our world through the beginning and end of all things. Christ our Lord and his beautiful word of the kingdom. Amen.